So it was uh, mid-70s, uh, maybe towards the latter part of it, somewhere in 76, 77. Uh, I was a guy who was out of, out of school and working, uh, selling music at the time. And I had just gotten my first really big promotion. I had been promoted to be a manager. Uh, but in this promotion, it required that I be transferred. Uh, it would be the first time in my life I would have ever left the state of Florida. And uh, I was transferred to the, the great metropolis, the wonderful state of Mississippi. Um, and thinking I was going to some foreign land uh, up in Mississippi. But I arrived with great excitement up in that part of the woods, uh, literally, and um, learned a whole new culture up there that uh, I was completely unfamiliar with. And But I was warmly received and, and thought that it was great. I actually met some people there who uh, would become my associates, my friends, and they invited me actually to come and, uh, after about four or five months there, rent a place from them. Uh, and it was about half the price of the rent I was in. And the conversation went like this. It was, Brad, we really, we really like you. We really um, love having you hang out with our group. And We'd love for you to be part of it, and so much so. I've got an extra little spot here. I'd, I'd love for you to rent it from me, and I, you know, I don't want to charge you a whole lot of money because we really like, we really like having you around. So why don't you just pay me X amount of dollars, and uh, you live here in my place. I'll be in and out every once in a while, um, but you live here in my place and um, enjoy it. Well, one morning I was uh, wasn't there long. I was about a week. Uh, weekend to being there and um, feeling really good that I'd found these friends that it seemed like my future was going to be okay and my car broke down and it wasn't far from where I was living so I just walked home and and went into my room there and um, I don't remember exactly what I was doing in the room but then I heard the door open and through the crack I could see it was my friend who had rented me his spot along with four or five of the other people who we knew and of course, they didn't know I was there yet. And it was when I began to hear them, the other people question the person who I was renting from and saying, why are you renting your place to this jerk? He's not even from here. And the guy responded with this. He may be a jerk and I, I can put up with a jerk who pays me, though. It won't be long before we get him gone, but at least he's covering the rent while he's here. You might imagine how I felt. I, I don't know that I felt that alone before in my life, that confused, wondering, do I even have a friend here? Where would I go? Who would I hang out with? What would my next several months there look like? You might imagine the confusion I felt. You might imagine the depth of rejection. Maybe you too have felt that rejection. Maybe, maybe you too have felt you've been the subject of conversations that people didn't know that you heard. Maybe you've been you know, the subject of a parking lot conversation. And you heard about it through the grapevine. You see, our temptation when we feel 
like we're isolated, our temptation when we feel as though we're alone, our temptation when we feel like the rest of the world is against us, is to try to manufacture alliances with those who may be like-minded or or those who we think have more popularity or those who we think are stronger or those who we think can get us out of a jam or any anybody or anything that will give us any level of comfort at all. Now, there's nothing wrong with seeking the counsel of friendship. There's nothing wrong with having acquaintances. There's nothing wrong. But the first place that God wants us to look when we're wounded, when we're hurt, when we're under threat, when we feel isolated, is to look to him. You see, this is what Israel and and Judah was doing in these chapters that we read. They were beginning to feel isolated. They were beginning to look for alliances in their isolation under the threat of being totally alone in the known world. They were looking to stronger countries. Assyria was coming in. And Judah was looking to Babylon to come in and protect them from the Assyrian army. So much so that they were willing to say, it's not really important that we seek God here as much as it is we seek the ways of the world. It's important that we make alliances with those who may be stronger than the ones who are against us. Even if those alliances really behave and act unholy. And God contrasts in these first seven verses of this 41st chapter what the idolatrous world looks like in their futility and what you and I are supposed to look like and how you and I are supposed to respond in these circumstances in 8 through 13. God says this. He says in verse 5, the coastlands, and this is the coastland is just a metaphor for the world out there the farthest reaches of the world. He says the coastlines have seen, they understand worldly power, they understand worldly wisdom, they understand worldly threat. They have seen it at the ends of the earth and they tremble. They have drawn near and they come. Everyone helps his neighbor and everyone says to his brother, be strong. The craftsman strengthens the goldsmith, and he who smooths the hammer, he who strikes the anvil, saying the soldering is good. You see what God is saying there through the prophet Isaiah to the idolatrous world is that it's futile. You're making idols. You're making weapons. You're making things that have no power at all compared to my power. You're making alliances. You're saying things to one another that are futile. He's saying soldering is good. And they strengthen it with nails so that it cannot be moved. And the futility of looking at alliances other than the alliance with Yahweh. There's a false sense of security. That you really can be stable, that you really can have the world and have it all too. God says something different here in verse 8. But you, Israel, my servant. You hear the contrast? You see, you and I are to live completely different as God's people than the world. 
You and I are to seek a different way of doing things than the world's way. What way is that? It's the way of the Scriptures. It's the way of how God has revealed His Word to us. We're to have relationships with one another that are much different than the relationships that we have in the world. We are always to respond as God's people to our circumstances. So what does it mean then for you and I to be God's people? Well, just two things this morning. First of all, I want to say this. When you and I belong to God, it's important that you and I understand how dearly loved we are. Look at this in verse 8 again with me. He says, But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, who I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. Well, of course, you and I may ask the question this morning, how can I relate to that? How can I relate to this idea, God speaking to the nation of Israel and saying that they're his offspring and their friend, how, what does that mean to me? Well, of course, in Galatians, we begin to understand when Paul writes it, that for you and I to be in Christ means something incredibly significant. To be in Christ, he says, is to be the offspring of Abraham. And, of course, you remember the words of Jesus, that he no longer calls you and I servant, but calls us friends. The words are dripping with affection in this eighth verse. You're my servant. You're whom I've chosen. You're my friend. I took you from the ends of the earth. It really means I lured you. I alluded you. I brought, I wooed you in from the ends of the earth to be mine. And how can that be different any more today than, how can more true can that be any more today as we look at the eclecticness of this body here in this room? From different parts of the world, from different parts of the continent, from different parts of the state from different parts of the city, from different ethnic backgrounds, from different socioeconomic backgrounds, from different theological backgrounds. God has called you and I together under this roof. He has wooed you in here. For what purpose? To be a servant. To serve Him. To glorify Him with our efforts. To be His friend. And how do we live then as a friend of God? Well, we live situationally ordained. Situationally ordained. What does that mean? It means this. That you and I understand that every circumstance that we find ourselves in has been ordained by God. And that there is a purpose and there is a meaning in the position that we find ourselves there is a place and a path that we are to go because we are in a situation that God has called us into to show us and to give us or to give him glory in the way that we operate and behave within our situations. You see, Israel was in a situation. They were in a jam. They had people coming against them. And the temptation was to run to others. And God says, don't run to others because I've brought you together to be my people, Israel. I put you on the face of the earth to do something very specific, to serve me so that the world would know that I'm the one true God. 
And it's no different than for you and I here this morning under this roof as God's people to serve him so that the community in which we exist would know the one true God is the one who reigns. And to do so not obligatory, not in a way that is slavish, but in a way of understanding I'm a servant, but I'm also a friend. And it's because of my friendship. It's because of the intimacy that I have with God. It's because of his outpouring of his love for me, calling me in from the uttermost parts of the world to be his, that I want to serve him. It's where I find my energy. It's where I find my joy. It's where I find my meaning and my purpose in life is that God has loved me so much. I have no other thing that compels me more than to love him and serve him. That should be the underlying and most powerful truth of any church, of any place that calls itself Christian. To live situationally ordained. To know that you're in this community for a purpose. To know that you're in this church for a purpose. And the purpose is to glorify God in the way that you behave and the things that you say and the way that you treat one another and the way that you reach the community so that they will know and you will know that the living God reigns. And secondly, your servants. Servants. That word has taken on such a misused meaning over the centuries. To be the servant of God is to be the affectionate one of God. You are set free from the obligatory justification of your own works. And in that freedom, you and I turn around And say, God, I know I'm free, but I want to be bound by your love forever. It's the idea of being a bond servant, which was much different than a typical slave. The bond servant in ancient times was the servant who had been, had their freedom received. And they could go anywhere they wanted to go. But the bond servant's love for the master was so compelling, so constricting that they could do nothing else but say, Master, let me stay with you. Let me continue to serve you. Let me continue washing your feet. Let me continue to bring you meal. Let me continue, Lord, to take care of your estate. Because I love you so much. This is the idea that Isaiah is saying, or God is saying through Isaiah to Israel, you're the one who loves me. You're the one who's supposed to love me. I call you servant, not out of looking down upon you, not out of seeing how awful you're saying something awful about you, but I look at you to say, you affectionately love me. We're in a relationship of understanding I own the estate, but you love me so much you want to serve the estate. Does that describe your relationship with him? Does it describe the relationship of this church to him?
We're situationally ordained so that we might serve him, so that we bring him glory, and so that the world may know. It's as simple as that. It doesn't get more complicated. There were times when my dad would ask me to do certain things. They were inconvenient. They probably got in the way of surfing or skiing. And I mumbled and grumbled. And I sought an alliance with my mother. The, the conversation in our house would go, your dad's the head of the house, but I'm the neck that turns the head. So I would seek an alliance with her and say, Mom, go talk to Dad. She would. But before she would, she would turn around and look at me and say this, Isn't this a good opportunity to show your dad you love him? And I mowed. (laughs) You see, every situation we're in right now is an opportunity for us to show our father we love him. Why would we do that? Second reason this morning is this. Because when we belong to God, grace abounds. When we belong to God, grace abounds. You notice again in verse 6 and 7, the efforts that the world is putting in to protecting itself. It's hammering. It's nailing. It's it's just working away in futility to try to make itself be protected. But look at what God says here to Israel in verse 9 and 10. I took you from the ends of the earth. I called you from the four corners, saying, You are my servant. I have chosen you. I will not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you my, with my righteous right hand. See the difference? You see the difference between a worldly way and the way of God's people? You see the difference of the way to operate your life? One in deep anxiety. One with always churning and always worrying about what's next. How are we going to protect ourselves? Who do we need to align with? What group is doing this and what group is doing that? Versus God who says to you, rest. Rest that I will take care of you. Rest I can take care of the future. Rest I will take care of the present. But in that rest, serve me. Serve me faithfully, and your service will actually become your rest. Why? Because the results won't be up to you. You will trust them over to the omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God and remove them from the hands of the finite beings who can't see what's going to happen tomorrow. And transfer that into daily situational faithfulness. And in that situational daily faithfulness, God says, I will be your help. I will be present. Grace will abound. Of course, how do we know this? Well, the book of Isaiah over the next ten chapters is filled with pointing to 
the true and good servant, the real Israel, the one we would know to be Jesus Christ. It would come to be the better servant, the faithful servant, as Isaiah would say. And in his service, he would do this incredibly powerful thing for you and I. In our belief and in our faith, as we apply it to him, you and I are inextricably and inseparately joined into union with Christ. When you and I became Christians, when you and I gave our faith, when we said, Lord, you are mine, I am yours, we were in union with him. The way Jesus would describe it, that we became husband and betrothed, husband and wife, that we were one. Jesus also described it this way, that he would be in us and we would be in him. Paul described it this way, that you and I currently, because we were crucified with him, an objective truth, mysterious as it might be, every believer by faith believes that their sin was crucified with Christ. Therefore, we were raised with him. And we sit with him, as Paul says in Ephesians, at the right hand of God the Father. That you and I currently, mysteriously, objectively have a position in Christ at the right hand of God. As you currently sit here in the flesh. Oh, when the world comes against you, when you feel isolated, when you hear those conversations happening, when you feel threatened, when you feel alone, when disease comes against you, when poverty strikes, when your best friend betrays, when your spouse leaves, when everything you've ever placed your faith in fails, God is there saying, you still are in me. You still belong to me. Because I have bought you with the price of my own blood. And I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never depart from you. You will always be unified to me. What good news that is. What wonderful news that is. As we move into verse 11, we see this. Unity in Christ, this union with Christ begin to unfold. Behold, all those who are incensed against you shall be put to shame and confounded. Those who strive against you shall be as nothing. You shall seek those who contend with you and you will not find them. Those who war against you shall be as nothing at all. Why? For I, the Lord, will hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not. I am the one who helps you. You see, the union with Christ is this eternal security of knowing that no matter what we face, even if it's aloneness, Christ is still there holding your right hand with His hand of righteousness. Inextricably connected, inseparately connected to be one with Him forever 
and ever. And those things that contend against you and I and contend with you and I will disappear in the shalom of being eternally with Christ. Who is your enemy? Beloved, your enemy is not us. We're not each other's enemy. The world out there is not our enemy. The Bible is clear that the enemy that we have is an enemy that is of spirit and wars against our spirit. It is the devil himself who puts ideas in our head to run to the world and behave like it. It is he who makes us feel we are separated from Christ. It is he who disunifies. It is he who brings separation. It is he that would whisper in your ear, this can't be true. God won't protect you unless you protect yourselves. What could be more contrary to Scripture? We have God saying right now, fear not, I'm with you. It is me who will help you. And yet we say, I can't believe that. I have to believe that I can help myself better. Maybe it's a time for us to fall on our knees. And say, Lord, I trust you. You are my help. I will flee to no other but to you. Because our provision is this. Our provision is Jesus. And all that is Jesus is ours. All his power, all his riches, all of his realm, we are co-heirs with him. And yet we live so small in our vision, don't we? How can I begin to experience this intimacy with God and this union with Christ? I'll give you four things that I do. One is I try to seek faithfulness more than manipulation. I try to seek faithfulness more than manipulation. Oftentimes, under threat, I want to manipulate God. I want to tell Him all the reasons why He should agree with me. I want to tell Him all the things He needs to do for me. Doesn't He recognize my plight? And this is what other people should be behaving because of me. And God, if you would just see things my way, then everything would be okay. There could be peace. That's manipulation. But faithfulness is this. Lord, I don't always agree with your word. But I agree your word says what it says. And therefore I'll submit. I don't always like what it says. But I won't disagree that it says what it says, therefore I'll submit. I may not feel like turning the other cheek. And I may not agree with it in this circumstance. But I'm going to believe you more than I believe my own compulsions to strike back. And I'm going to say, Lord, I submit. 
Because, see, this is the thing that God created and hardwired you and I for. He hardwired us not to be results-oriented people, but to be faithful-oriented people. God calls you and I to let Him be sovereign over outcomes as we serve Him daily in faithfulness. And so I find the first thing I need to do when I'm feeling like I want to manipulate God is return to Daily situational sovereignty, trying to be faithful in the circumstance. According to his word. Which leads to the second thing. I try to remember he's, he's in control and I'm not. Sounds easy enough, sounds plain enough, but it seems like that's one of the more complicating things in my relationship with him. I really think I'm the fourth person of the Trinity most of the time. And that if I were somehow to be left out of things, it just couldn't run the right way. But there apparently is only one God per universe, and I'm not Him. And neither are you. And you and I must understand, He's the one who's controlling outcomes. He's the one that's controlling events. He's the one that's doing things for His own glory. We need to trust that. And then thirdly, God has promised His presence with us. God has promised here. This is the invitation for you and I to believe. God has offered us the power of being with us in His presence if we will believe. And let me say this. Where God's presence is, there is real power. God has promised His presence, and where His presence is, is where power is. You want more power in your life? Then you and I must strive. We must pray. We must seek. We must knock. We must ask. We must find ourselves in obedience. Because in obedience and through prayer and through the knocking and the seeking, we experience His presence more and more in our lives. And as we experience that presence more and more in our lives, we experience the very power of God in our lives. According to the Scriptures. And then fourthly, maybe the most difficult of all, is I have to remember the big picture. I have to remember the 30,000 foot view of history. That in the same way that God moved Israel across the face of the Old Testament map, He's moving the church through the face of the New Testament map. All for one goal, all to one end. That we should be one people with one spirit, one God, under one baptism. That we truly are the new Jerusalem. That we truly are the people of God that will come before His throne on the day of His return and give Him glory and honor and power. And in the light of that, most things seem insignificant to me. Don't you know where you're heading? Don't you know this is a journey? Don't you know that a day is just a step towards the throne of Christ? And it doesn't matter about your failures. You hear what God said to Israel, right? I'm still with you. Though your sins were as like scarlet, I will wipe them clean. Because I grabbed you. I took you. 
I made you mine to bring you to me to live forever in the true and real promised land. Fear not, for he is with you. The helper lives within you. You are his people, and he is our God. Let's pray.